0: dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby and now I can bring the entire crew my dog and all of our gear with that third row learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com call 562-314-4603 for complete details let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now that's New Balance the two-way V4 featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with Fresh Foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that Reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. You're tuned in
1: to Heat Check with Trista Crick.
0: On this episode of the Heat Check, we've got an interview with Yahoo Senior NBA reporter, and friend of show, Jake Fisher. He gives us some really good info on how the trade deadline went down, how the Nets' KD Kyrie Harden era will be looked at over time, why the Toronto Raptors were never going to make a move at the deadline except for to be a buyer, who is going to tank moving forward this NBA season, and much, much more. Lots to get into, Nick, so do me a favor and drop that generic-ass beat. Let's just talk about like the trade deadline as a whole, because I felt like to a degree it was like one of the more dramatic trade deadlines. And then outside of the two real pieces of oh, shock and awe, there wasn't really anything of note.
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we with inside information were kind of saying for a while, right? That like there wasn't a lot of like starting level players that were actually going to move teams. Um, And then the Kyrie Irving thing obviously threw a giant monkey wrench in the entire trade landscape. But just like with Kevin Durant requesting a trade like an hour before free agency started, like those two situations kind of happened in a vacuum outside of everything else. Like free agency started at six o'clock on June 30th even though KD, you know, asked out and you know the the wheels still spun, the, the world still moved on. And like the fact that Kyrie's trade happened to Dallas, like he requested them on Friday, so it was six days before the deadline. And then he was already dealt by Sunday. I mean, the reporting's been pretty clear since that KD requested his deal out out of Brooklyn on Monday, but but the Nets they weren't willing to discuss it with anybody. He wanted to go to Phoenix, he's wanted to go to Phoenix all along. So the other 28 teams kind of operated as we were expecting, which was pretty much Toronto dangling players and having a lot of calls around the league, but they didn't make any selling type moves. They were interested in Yaka Pertle, like we had known about since you know last trade deadline when they were registering interest there. And there are, there's a lot of activity. I mean, I wrote today, Yahoo, 71 second round picks got traded between January 1st and the deadline. The other past four years, the most was 32 second round picks traded because there just weren't a lot of players out there that were actually worthy of first round picks. And I think that's uh, illustrative of the level of talent that was actually on the market too.
0: When did it become clear to everybody who was in the know that Phoenix was like the only place?
1: I mean, I didn't know for certain until the deal happened. But when Kyrie's stuff dropped on Friday, everyone around the league said, Well, just just like just like my Twitter feed, just like yours. the timeline was going off. What does this mean for k d? is k d next? And the impression that everyone got, and especially by everyone, I mean, like rival teams inquiring, um, and especially after Brooklyn's return for Kyrie with Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first and a couple seconds, I believe. Yeah. Um, that was a win-now move, right? Like, that was a move just like they did throughout the summer with going and get Royce O'Neal um, and re-signing Claxton, TJ Warren, and other things to try to build a contender around KD. So, I mean, the thought was still prevalent of – Well, if he does, if, I mean, he's, he's changed his mind left and right. That's, that's kind of been his MO. So the thought kind of prevailed. Well, he could still do that before Thursday. He could decide. turns out he did it on Monday. Right. Um, And at that point in time, it was a holdover thing that everyone around the situation believed that if he was leaving Brooklyn and even why he requested a trade originally from Brooklyn, was the thought that that Phoenix could happen, that Phoenix was there. He could play with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So it, it just kind of felt like an inevitability if this came around. I mean, Memphis definitely uh, lobbed an offer, let's say. I don't know the specifics, but I know it was definitely all their picks, and they're willing to trade anybody not named Ja, Dylan Brooks, and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., but he wanted to go to Phoenix, and that was the only thing that was going to happen. So I didn't know, like I said, until, you know, Wednesday night when the, when the trade went down, it was like just, I mean, I, I remember saying on the radio on Tuesday night in Philly um, at WIP and my family, because I'm from the area, was like listening to my brother. So they like, oh, like you called KD to Phoenix on Tuesday night. I didn't. I just like had an understanding if he was going to get moved. The overwhelming likelihood was to the sun. So that's where he wanted to go.
0: And then the second thing that you mentioned earlier, too, was like, that Toronto was just going to dangle everyone. How close do you think they actually were to ever selling the parts that they were dangling?
1: So I don't have that definitive answer, but what I can say is that they were telling rival teams. um, And the the reason I don't have that definitive answer is I'm not on the phone. Right. And like you're hearing stuff at the end of the day, the job is to tell the public what, you believe to be true based off of the information that you hear a lot of times you're hearing you know falsehoods or things that are a little bit misleading to try to paint a certain picture right and it's your job to or it's my job to try to sift through all that and come and bring like the clearest picture i can right so with that like toronto was telling other teams starting at the showcase like we don't know what we're going to do we're going to take until the final minutes of the deadline, we had this long like eight-game road trip or whatever it was, six games, something like that, um, all throughout the West Coast before they came back that Sunday night before the deadline, and they were going to regroup on Monday and figure out what the direction they wanted to go. And sure, Fred Van leads contract, he could be a free agent this summer if he opts out. Gary Trent can opt out. OG Ananobi is guaranteed to be unrestricted free agent in 24 um, because he can't, by CBA limitations – uh, get more than 120% salary increase, which is well below his market value being that he's 18, 19 million dollar player right now. But they were telling teams like, we don't know what we're going to do. And they were telling teams we might be buyers. So to me, like I'm looking at reading all these tea leaves and operating like the 31st front office and trying to figure out what these teams are going to do because they don't know what they're going to do. All that stuff I just said to you, never signaled a team that was really going to sell and it signaled a team just just like they did with Kyle Lariat in one yes. they were going to talk and talk and see what the market was looking like and then probably the result would really come in the summer so that at a certain point was really what I expected to, to be the case I didn't I didn't know I didn't like I didn't wake up on Thursday confident but mm-hmm. I fully believed that they were going to go after Yaka Pertl and the rest was kind of undetermined, and it seems like even though there's a finality to it right now, I mean, it's it's late February already. Like June's pretty close, yeah. so we'll see what happens come this off season, especially if they don't continue to rise up the East. They're still, I mean, they're a ways away from getting out of the playing tournament, which is, you know, obviously not where they want to be when they've got all these guys will who are up for thirty million dollar paydays coming up.
0: yeah you know I thought that to myself I was sitting in the lawn in Arizona and right before this the, you know on Super Bowl week and I was like do we really actually believe these guys are gonna do anything like are they really gonna move OG Ananobi when he's under team control for another year and change like it just doesn't it never felt like a Maasai move like a full fire sale you know what I mean yeah. so I think you're I think you're right I It is interesting that they didn't do anything really at all except for, you know, purchase uh, Yaga Purtel, former player.
1: In in fairness, like they can say, no one met our asking price. Like the Pacers offered three first, right? The Pacers picks, I believe, ones one was Cleveland, ones Milwaukee. Like those aren't those aren't great first round picks. They're they're late twenties. The Grizzlies offering a bunch of picks the Grizzlies are going to, they're projecting to be, you know, a top five record team in the league like they have been for the next half decade. Like how valuable are those picks going to be? So I could understand, you know, the, the rappers thinking, well, we did a good job of drawing up this interest to get the quantity of first rounders, but the quality isn't what we're looking for. Like, That could be a fair counter argument, but um, I don't know, three first round picks, no matter where they land for a player that. I don't know. I don't know if Ognjenovic is ever going to be more than what he is in Toronto. That's also, you know, why would a team give up so 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 much more than what we just stated? Because they wanted to pick from everything I've heard. The Raptors wanted picks and players, or and the player. When that, that that's let's say it's Memphis or, in, or Indiana, but Memphis probably it's greater stakes for them, being that they're they're at the top of this, uh, you know, echelon here are they going to just willingly mortgage all that stuff to be right in the situation Toronto is where he could be an unrestricted free agent with no guarantees to resign in 24. That's a lot. That's a big price to pay.
0: Yeah. And it's not that much cheaper than say like a Donovan Mitchell or, you know, it's, it's more than a Kyrie Irving at this stage. It's just slightly cheaper than Kevin Durant. It just feels like the drop-off from like a, a list player to, let's be honest, like probably a B-minus player, but a really good wing defender. It's like Toronto's very uh, Danny Ainge-ish when it comes to getting what they want. Um, So I guess, how do you think the trades actually fit into the rest of the season? Like, do you think anything really makes an impact outside of Katie and Kyrie to their respective destinations?
1: I do. I mean, I think the Clippers got better and they're going to end up being just... uh a talkable team until their season ends because and Paul George are so good when healthy and active. And that has not been the case consistently. Right. And people love to talk about they're the big poster argument against, you know, load management and whatnot. Um, but, and, and this is also like the fourth year of this expensive iteration. And they, they you know, they were across the aisle of the KD Kyrie uh, experiment in Brooklyn. Like, those, those tandems came together the exact same off season um, in July, 2019. So like one potential super team dynasty already crumbled, like is the time running out on this iteration in LA where there was already talk around the league back when they made that Western conference finals run against the Suns in 2021 of like, if they didn't make it that far, what was going to happen up top? Like, there's, I'm not. I'm not here to say that, like, I know definitively that there's hot seats in in LA, but like, this conventional wisdom would suggest he paid all this money to put together this, you know, contender that maybe they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals more than once in a four-year window. Like that would be below expectations, right? So, they got better with Eric Gordon and Mason Plumlee, and I, I really do like Bones Highland. I know there's been some, um, you know personality stuff that's come up in denver but i mean he's a damn good player he's in the second year with a rookie deal that's a pretty good you know gamble i think from la the nuggets got better with thomas bryant um and Reggie jackson's a nice buyout signing golden state getting gary payton the second back like i don't think he's world changer but you at least turned james wiseman who was not going to play for them this year into someone who was a really valuable rotation piece for them i mean the lakers got a lot better obviously they're starting five to pull the doors off the pelicans without zion but uh the other night so i mean the whole conference i think outside of portland really got better your blazers like they didn't exactly buy to move this thing forward here trista what what's going on
0: it doesn't feel like it. No, uh, they got a first-round pick uh, that is only lottery protected, so that will convey, I think, this year. They're going to need to figure something out, right? Like Jeremy Grant, whether he ends up getting a deal done this summer, I don't know. I saw something earlier today that I forget who it was writing it, that in order to keep game really supported, that most likely they would have to sign or they would most likely have to trade Anthony Simons, And Shaden Sharp, which I'm I very much disagree about trading Shaden Sharp, but it just doesn't feel like their philosophy is much different than Neil O'Shea's was outside of just finding more athletic dudes. I think Neil O'Shea would have been fine with Cam Reddish. Like I think Neil O'Shea would have been fine with Jeremy Grant. Like maybe he doesn't maybe doesn't draft Shaden Sharp. Maybe he ends up with like, I don't know, some white guy from Gonzaga that's not Chet Holmgren, but like I don't know that this is a defensive first team really. And to me, it doesn't feel like they're doing Dame any favors.